Hello, I'm your host, Gillian Semler. You're listening to Let's Talk, brought to you by Citilets and Arla Property Mart Scotland. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show for the world of property letting, investment, legislation, personal stories and much more. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's Talk at citilets.co.uk. Today, my guest is Anna Gardner, Policy Advisor for Rural Property at Scottish Land and Estates, also known as SLE. Good afternoon. Hello, thank you so much for inviting me to join you today. Thank you for taking the time to come in. Now, first of all, would you like to tell us a bit about SLE, you know, how long the organisation's been established for and kind of why it was created? Yes, yeah, certainly, certainly. Scottish Land and Estates, it's a member organisation representing land, landowners and rural-based businesses across Scotland. It dates back to 1906, and while the name, the structure and ethos may have evolved with the times, we've always stood as very much a leading champion for rural Scotland. Okay, now, because um, SLE's vision is to make a prosperous and sustainable future for rural Scotland, delivering benefits for all. So how does the organisation strive to achieve this? Well, the work of Scottish Land and Estates is really driven by our membership and their desire to represent and demonstrate the contributions they make to rural Scotland. Um, we operate through key policy team with a regional team who has ears to the ground across rural Scotland, working really closely with members. This regional support really helps the policy team to influence effectively which is the work we do on a daily basis with government, as well as the main stakeholder groups and ministerial working groups on which we sit. Our members provide a vital contribution to our wider policy and regional teams, and this brings great practical experience and realism to the policy, and representational work and outputs, ultimately, the mm -hmm. organisation. I mean, your members comprise of a diverse range of businesses. It's not just landowners. So can you just tell us a bit more about them? Absolutely. Um, the the organisation is also supported by a wide variety of rural trade businesses who work in the, the land-based sector and make up our trade membership. I mean, essentially, Scottish Land and Estates works as a really useful information sharing opportunity for many of our members, as they all have a common interest in rural Scotland. We also draw on wider professional expertise to support our work. And as well as our landowning and trade members, we also have a very active professional uh, network of members. We count all the major land agents operating in Scotland in our ranks, as well as many of Scotland's legal and accountancy firms operating in the rural and agricultural sectors. Men members also get involved in the policy and representational work by joining one of our core policy groups, and these feature a mix of landowning and professional members. Okay, now you started this post was last October, so tell us a bit about your background and what led you to, to where you are now with Scottish Land and Estates. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I really feel my life has almost gone full circle with this one. Um, I grew up on a hill farm in the Scottish borders, and while Plan A had been to become a vet, uh, from school I headed to Aberdeen University to study land economy. And even though the long-term plan was to work in rural property, from there I headed to London, where I trained with Savills to become a chartered surveyor, um, ending up specialising in landlord and tenant work on the commercial side of things. And that said, all, all my work experience up to then was 
with rural agents. I worked mm -hmm. with Brodie solicitors in their property department back in the day. John Sale in Peebles and Gala Shields, and that's now part of the Galbraith Group. Savills in Edinburgh and Perth. But looking back at that period in London, it was the best experience professionally, and it taught me so much. Um, when I moved back to Scotland, I continued with commercial property for a while, but then moved over to the re residential world, um, and I've dealt with everything from holiday lets, private rented sector property, and then back at Savills and the country residential team. Um, it was when I left Savills, um, just before COVID, that I started to work with an estate in the Scottish borders, helping develop, develop their diversification projects. And that gave me really, really good hands-on experience and took me full circle back into the rural world. And the move to Scottish land and estates was just natural progression. Um, I mean, the role completely plays into the breadth of my experience in property. Um, and it's, it's just got so many challenges and it's just a very exciting um, time to be involved with, with the organisation. Fantastic. Well, I mean, as policy advisor for rural property, so what areas does this all cover and how do rural private residential tenancies differ from other private residential tenancies? Well, as the policy advisor for rural property, as the name suggests, it does actually cover quite a wide remit. Um, at the moment, a lot of my work is involved with housing because that is what the, the political climate is, is producing at the moment. Um, but you know, as a broader picture, yes, housing, that's obviously including all the private rented as much as um, all the other areas. Business rates, connectivity, that covers telecoms, wayleaves, broadband, you name it. Energy, renewables, private water, diversification. It, it basically covers everything that the other policy advisors don't do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then going back to the um, rural private re residential tenancies, it's not that the legal structure's different, that's, that, that's just the same, but it's the characteristics that's different. Um, typically, tenants stay in properties longer in the countryside. Rural rents tend to be lower. Um, it's unusual for a rural tenant not to know their landlord personally, and paths will cross more regularly in the community. You know, children go to the same school, all that sort of stuff. You know, as, as far as the properties are concerned, the landlord's costs are typically higher than with urban properties. And this is really actually important because you've got to remember that the rents are lower. Yeah. Um, I mean, a good example you know, of, of sort of the extra costs, um, regulation requires that properties with a private water supply, and that's really common, mm -hmm. um, they need to have a special UV treatment system, a, a filtration system, and annual water testing. Um, now, some properties, it's, it's a relatively straightforward thing. It you know, fits in a wee cupboard or under the kitchen sink. You know, there's the space for it. Other properties, it involves building a shed, and you know, suddenly the, the, the noughts are, are adding up, and you're, you're a few thousand pounds in. Mm. Um, and then you've got the annual water testing bill, uh, so just an, an extra cost for the mm. landlord. Um, you've got septic tanks to em empty, chimneys need swept, roads maintained, and so on. Some of these things are actually tenant liabilities, and they should be doing it, but a lot of landlords actually do it. A lot of them see it as, as actually it's better that they do them, and then they know it's done. Yes. Um, then they don't get done at all. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it sort of just comes with the territory, I guess. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a key thing that... that Costs running property in the countryside is 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 not a, a cheap exercise by any measure. Okay, I mean, 
Well, I mean, landlords, they are increasingly looking to diversify and converting farm buildings has become increasingly popular. So the cost of living tenant protection act, I mean, it must have serious implications for the rural community with many, as you mentioned before, the rental homes being below market um, rents. How has this emergency legislation been impacting your landlord members? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it is impacting them quite severely because like anything, it's, it's really all about uncertainty. But actually going back to your, your point about the diversification, actually a really good example of this is um, a member has got uh, farm buildings on Mull, um, Glengorme, and they are currently converting those farm buildings with help of the Rural Housing Fund to affordable housing, which is a really, really good progressive project um, and will definitely help the housing supply there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, going back to the legislation, I mean, there is a real frustration over the rent cap. Um, it's absolutely daft that someone on a six-figure salary renting a farmhouse on the outskirts of Aberdeen is afforded the same protection as someone suffering from fuel poverty. Yes. It's also illogical that the justification for the social rented sector to being removed from the rent cap regulations, and that justification is the need to improve, maintain, carry out energy efficiency measures. I mean, it's disregarded as far as the private rented sector is concerned, and yet they suffer from all the same pressures. That's right. Um, but the real issue is that le- you know the legislation has created untold uncertainty, and you know you, you ask the question, well, what does uncertainty look like for the pri- private sector landlord? Well, it creates questions with no tangible end to the rent cap. Questions like, how will I fund the new windows I was planning to install? How will I carry out the energy efficiency measures I was planning? Yeah, I was going to go on to that. Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to finance a new heating system? What's more frustrating, however, is that tenants are missing out on the benefits of the, these improvements as a result of these, this uncertainty, and particularly the energy efficiency measures. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're talking about um, the new minimum EPC requirements coming in from 2025, so it's not been finalised as of yet, but it's, as you mentioned, it's obviously going to involve additional costs for landlords. Um, but what additional challenges do rural landlords <coughs> face? Um, you know, because they've got to obviously adapt and upgrade their properties for the compliancy too. Um, and as I believe, obviously, a lot more considerably compared to probably some more um, urban properties. So what assistance, you know, how, how much more are these costs for rural landlords, and and are your members able to receive help to mitigate these additional costs? Well, there's certainly no extra help for being a rural landlord. That's one thing for sure. Um, And there's minimal help out there anyway. The only thing available at the moment is a a loan, which is the equivalent of kicking the can down the track. So there is no help to help landlords improve their properties as far as energy efficiency measures are concerned. But to actually create a bit of context here, um, the rural housing stock is classically old traditional build. And to put this into figures that that sort of illustrates this better, 84% of remote rural properties do not currently meet EPCC. 84%. 71% of accessible rural properties do not meet EPCC. 
and that compares to 52% of the properties across the rest of Scotland. Mm -hmm. So the situation mm -hmm. is far graver in rural, rural Scotland. Um, and it's probably worth adding in here that 42% of remote rural properties are actually in the fuel poverty pile. Right. Uh, okay. And that compares to 22% in accessible rural properties and 24% in the, in the rest of Scotland. Right. So, you know, the situation in rural Scotland is the, the investment for energy efficiency measures is urgently required um, and, and they need help to do it. The last thing they need is legislation that, that makes it harder to do yeah. it. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the typical barriers that our members face is that, that traditional properties are hard to retrofit and they're hard to fit into the current EPC model. Um, you know, to improve rating often requires extensive work, the cost of which is not exempt from inflation. And the real issue is that scarcity of, of um, trades is, is a real problem in many locations. You know, trying to find someone to do the work yeah. is, is almost a larger challenge than actually doing the work itself. Um, I mean, we do offer our members advice and support, um, although it is a challenge because the regulations are still not, you know, they're still to be refined. Um, you know, the, we've got the heat and buildings legislation, you know, coming forward. Yes. And that, that will obviously be the legislation that does that. But the goalposts may yet move again. So, you know, as it is, there's no finance available. The goalposts keep moving. And, uh, you know, landlords could just do with a little bit of certainty so they know what they need to do, when they need to do it by, and so that they can actually get on and do it, because it's not that they don't want to do it. That's it, that's it. Yeah, um, yeah this year we're actually going to run an energy webinar series for our members, and that's going to cover everything from business energy to domestic energy efficiency. Um, there's so much uh, noise out there at the moment, uh, you know, a lot going on in the renewable energy sector, um, with the imminent introduction of the forthcoming Heat and Buildings Bill consultation, and then the revision of the EPC software, which is the RDSAP, and that's all currently underway and hopefully will be in place um, this year, sooner rather than later. Uh, let's talk about empty homes because they've become increasingly common in rural areas and your organisation has been assisting landlords in helping bring back such homes um, into use to ease obviously the, the rural housing crisis in Scotland. So first of all, what impact is this housing supply issue having on rural communities? Yeah, well, you know, empty homes are an issue throughout Scotland and, you know, the, the rural sector is, is definitely not exempt from that. Um, the, you know, empty homes are a big part of the supply problem. The rural population is a lot older than the urban population and that means there are fewer homes for families and in some locations this can actually have a devastating effect on, on the community. Um, you know, suddenly primary schools at risk because, you know, the the, the homes are, are not being refilled with, with young young families and everything. And, uh, you know, it means there are fewer homes for young employees, which means that rural businesses are struggling to attract and keep talent as well. So mm, It's a rippling effect. Yeah, it, it, it does, yeah. Um, and can you go into more detail as to how SLE are helping empty homes being brought back into use? Yeah, I mean, SLE is a member of and supports the Empty Homes Partnership in their efforts to try and turn around this trend. So much of it is about awareness, and the key thing for us is to make sure that our members know that there is support out there to get properties back into the housing supply. 
um, uh, the Empty Homes Partnership, they've got regional support officers and they're, they're, they're doing a great deal to help and they've got brilliant local knowledge and, and having that, that assistance is brilliant. Um, SLE provides advice, support to our members where we're able and we're, particularly where we can direct landlords to funding opportunities that can actually bring back a property to the market, such as the Empty Homes Loan Fund. Um, that's, that's one that councils actually manage. Okay. So in what ways will the emergency legislation affect this progress, because particularly at a time when the cost of living is making it financially challenging to refurbish these empty homes? Yeah, well, as discussed earlier, I mean, uncertainty is not good news for the situation. And I would not be surprised to see a rise in the number of empty homes as an unintended consequence of the cost of living legislation. You know, while the landlords are dealing with this uncertainty of what next, we're very concerned by survey feedback that suggests that the rural supply may contract by as much as 14% because of this legislation. And in many ways, this emphasizes the severity of the situation because our members are part of their local communities and many have been working hard to try and solve their local housing supply issues. Taking properties out of the market is not what they want to be doing. But if you actually step away from the legislation for a moment, the main reason why there is a housing supply problem in rural areas is because it is too expensive to build where there's poor infrastructure. The added expense erodes the top line and so the business model does not work for your standard developer. And that leaves local landowners and communities to try and plug the gap. There are two really good examples at the top of my head. One is Stracathro, north of Brecon, the other dormant near Lockerbie. Both schemes have created a number of energy efficient, affordable homes which have boosted their local communities. And in, this, in the case of Stracathro, it even saved the village school from closure. There are funding opportunities available to help, such as the Rural and Islands Housing Funds, but these are not a bonus. This type of funding is the only way to make affordable housing projects viable, and only just at that. Mm. And back to uncertainty, if a landowner or a community is going to put their head on the line to develop affording, affordable housing in this way, they need to know that in the long run the financing will be covered. The uncertainty over the future rental stream puts all future projects like this in question. I mean, it's just another unintended consequence. Mm -hmm. And also the Act um, is obviously intended to protect tenants, but do you foresee any detrimental consequences for, for rural tenants, particularly if rent caps were to be introduced long term? We really do understand the good intention behind the legislation. Tenants need to be secure in their homes, and we support that. However, the obvious uh, consequence of this legislation is that the supply of rented housing will contract further, and the demand will grow. And with that, we're going to see more homelessness. We do not want to see this. Mm. My main concern is that the government refuses to see that the private rented sector in Scotland is important. It is particularly important because there is proportionally less social housing availability in rural Scotland, and it is therefore a vital part of keeping communities sustainable. Rural economies are really fragile, and we cannot afford to see the housing supply contract even by 1%, let alone 14%. So 
let's just talk about, you know, Scottish Association of Landlords and Property Market recently featured on the podcast and um, we discussed the coalition which SLE and their organisations formed and you've now submitted a petition to the Court of Session in Edinburgh. What were SLE's main reasons for being involved? As I know that your Chief Executive, Sarah Jane Lane, stated that the decision to submit it, it wasn't one that was taken lightly. Okay, rural estates provide homes for nearly 13,000 families and land for about 14,000 rural enterprises. Our decision was simply based on a wish to see Scottish Government treat our members and associates fairly. Their contribution to Scotland is considerable. All we ask is for that to be acknowledged when legislation is drafted so that rural Scotland can genuinely have a prosperous and sustainable future. Okay, listen, it's been very interesting. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Well, you're very welcome. It's been great. I'm Gillian Sandler. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to the Let's Talk channel on all the usual platforms, including Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud, as well as on citylets.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And also let your friends know where to find us. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show providing insight into the world of property letting. More information on today's show can always be found on our show notes along with this podcast. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's talk at citylets.co.uk. Okay.